Continuing with our Luke series, uh, we're going to go back into Luke chapter 1 and pick up on the sections that we didn't read last week. Last week we were considering that God is coming and that's a cause for rejoicing and joy. And we saw that God was preparing a way for himself coming uh, through the giving of a promise to an old couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, that they were going to have a son who was to be called John, whose name means God is gracious, that God in all of his grace was coming and was preparing the way for his own arrival. We're going to now pick up on the promise that's made to Mary and what she received from God through the angel Gabriel as well. And here's a promise. And over this, I'd just like to put a title of God's unfolding grace brings deepest joy. Because as God unfolds his grace, he comes near to us and he is the source of our joy. Let's read together in Luke chapter 1 and from verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Grace is undeserved favour. In particular, when we're thinking of grace in relation to God, it's his acceptance of and his goodness towards those who cannot or do not deserve such gain. It's his longing to bless where we have nothing in ourselves that merits it or warrants it. But God is gracious toward us and it comes across in our text in the words favoured. It's this undeserved favour. If we go back to where we began our reading and just work our way through it logically because it is a narrative and we're to, to do it in that way. It's Gabriel who is sent to visit Mary with news of this unfolding grace of God. God's grace is infinite because God is infinite. And according to our limited understanding, it takes time for us to understand more and more and more of God's grace. And here is God's grace towards humanity being gradually unfolded in a sense. It's like a garment that's been folded up and you take it and you open bits of it and so on. It's like that's happening. And God is here through the angel Gabriel, this minister sent out, is sharing with Mary and with us for our benefit, God's unfolding grace. Now we're standing this side of it so we can rejoice in what we've seen, but we ourselves know that God's grace continues to unfold for us every day as we see his action and activity in our experiences. You'll notice that it says in the sixth month the angel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. The sixth month there refers to what went before, which was the conclusion of Gabriel's instruction to Zechariah that Elizabeth was going to conceive a son in her old age. And that happens. And we thought last week of how she kept that hidden for five months. So the sixth month here relates to Elizabeth now having been pregnant for six months and news is starting to get out that Elizabeth is pregnant. It's amazing. Uh, so that's a timestamp for us. Gabriel was sent from God. I quoted this verse last week and it's important. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, the writer there, in writing to New Testament Christians, and we're in the same vein as that because we are New Testament Christians as well, he said that angels are sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Now that changes our understanding, doesn't it, of when we see the intervention of angels in the scriptures. And here we see the angel Gabriel who had special responsibility for God on behalf of his people Israel, along with, with, it, with Michael as well, the archangel. He's sent out as a messenger because he is one of those ministers that God has appointed for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So we're seeing that God's grace here is related to salvation. And we're going to get to that because the child that is promised to Mary is going to be called Jesus, which is Yahweh saves, God saves. So God's grace is associated with his salvation. And we see the angel Gabriel coming and he's a minister to come and do God's work on behalf of those who are who are to inherit salvation. Here is God in his grace coming into the experience of a young woman. Now we can't be precise about this, but most commentators would say that Mary was likely in her mid to late teens um, because 
they got married young in those days. And here she is. And she's living in an insignificant little town that has a bad reputation up in the northern reaches of what was Judah and Israel at that time. It was a place that was on the interface, in a sense, with the nations all around that were set against the things of the Jews. And it was a place that had a, had a poor history in the latter days of uh, the Old Testament. And do you remember in John chapter 1 when Philip goes and gets Nathaniel and says, Come and meet Jesus of Nazareth. His response is, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? God goes to a place that has a reputation that most would stay away from it because of. And he goes to seemingly an insignificant young woman, sending the messenger Gabriel, because he has a message for those who are going to inherit salvation that is precious for her. He's unfolding his grace that's associated with his salvation to her. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who grew up in Nazareth. Now we're racing ahead, but we have to say this because we know it. We know that yes, the good has come out of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, was across his uh, cross. That was the crime that they could pin on the top of the cross. That's all they could pin on that cross was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He's associated with that place that had such a bad reputation. Praise God for his grace and his favour to us that he's prepared to be identified with the worst of places and the worst of people because a place doesn't have a reputation unless it's because of the people that live in it. Praise God for his grace to us. Mary's, uh, Luke tells us clearly, she's a virgin betrothed to a man. Now betrothal is a stronger form of today in Western society, our engagement. It was actually a, a legal contract between two families. Sometimes the marriages could have been arranged between two families. So there was this legally binding contract that uh, Joseph, who's mentioned here, and Mary were at a set time uh, going to have a wedding feast to which families would be invited. And that would be the recognition of their marriage, the final point of it, and the expectation then that that would be consummated through sexual relations and so on. That's what they were looking forward to. And the betrothal period usually would last for about a year at the most. So here she is, partway into a betrothal to a man, Joseph, with all of the expectation of that within their little tight communities and their, their little clans and families, this expectation. And she's a virgin. Luke wants us to see that because he understands something in what Gabriel says that's really important. Before we get to that, we must just stress that her being a virgin means that she had not had sex. She was waiting for that moment with all of the expectation that was coming of the wedding feast and all of that. Joseph is considered an honourable man and we see that from the account of what he did around about this time as well in Matthew chapter 1 but that's a whole other um, session in itself if you want to go and see how he responded to later hearing that Mary was pregnant we see an honourable man there an honourable young man an honourable young woman who were honourable before the Lord waiting for the moment when the wedding feast would happen 
Joseph's of the house of David. And here's God fulfilling promises that he has made. Do you remember I mentioned that last week, that Luke is all about seeing the things that God has promised being accomplished. And that is an aspect of God's grace, that he says something and he achieves it. He brings it about. God had made a promise to David that there would always be one of his descendants who would sit on the throne over the kingdom for eternity. We'll come back to that in a moment. You have that here with Joseph. But we have to see it with Mary as well. And maybe if you were here last weekend or have listened in since, you'll notice that Elizabeth was of the descendants or listed as being of the descendants of Aaron. Well, David wasn't of the tribe of Aaron. He was of the tribe of Judah. So how does that stack up? How are these two related, Elizabeth and Mary? It's most likely through mothers marrying into those lines. But we clearly get the sense as well that Mary is of the line of David. Why do I say that? It's because for the Lord Jesus to be born as a descendant of David, he had to be in the line of David. And not just from a legal perspective, i.e. Joseph, the so-called father of the Lord Jesus, was of the house of David. But it's because Mary was. In her bloodline was the line of David. God working something so precise, of course, he had it always in view that it was coming to this point. And yes, the relationship through mothers and so on is there, but Elizabeth and Mary are related. One an older woman and one a younger girl, and they know each other, it would seem, from what we've got, and they get together. And God is working this in the precision of how God outworks the things that he has purposed and plans. As he has planned it, so that the unfolding of his grace makes us stand back and go, wow, only God could conceive of something and have such control in situations and circumstances like this to bring this about for his glory. Notice what uh, Gabriel says to her when he appears. Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. Luke picks up on this and he has in his mind, I believe, as maybe... um, Gabriel did as well, an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, 700 years before this happens. In the midst of a struggling situation for, uh, for Judah at the time, facing the threat of the Assyrian armies, God said to Isaiah, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. I believe there was a fulfillment of that there and then. That there was a young woman who gave birth to a child and the child was named God is with us. And it was a sign from God that God had not abandoned his people in face of all the threat. That was 700 years before. But God was saying through what he said to Isaiah, that's going to be fulfilled in a greater way in the future when God really will be with us. In a person. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And he shall call his name Emmanuel. Whenever the Jewish people took the Hebrew Old Testament. To translate it into Greek. They started that in around about the 4th century before Christ. And they completed it in the 2nd century before Christ. 
There's always been a little bit of debate over Isaiah 7 and 14. Does it really mean virgin or does it just mean young woman? Because some of the Bibles you might be reading might just say in that verse, young woman. Um, but when the Jewish readers of that, who came to do a translation work into Greek, because that was where language was moving uh, in the Middle East in those days, from transitioning from Hebrew to Greek as being the well-known one, they used the word clearly in Greek that means virgin. So that's what they understood it to be. That this was going to be something miraculous of God. So we're right to apply it as we should here. The prophecy had an immediate fulfillment, as many do. But then has a greater fulfillment in Christ. You're favoured, Mary. The Lord is with you. Did you see it? Emmanuel, God is with us. Mary, he is with you. But he's going to be with you in a even greater way than you could ever imagine because I'm going to tell you that you're going to bear a son Mary was greatly troubled we, well, I chuckled at this last week because that was the same response that Zachariah had in the temple when Gabriel appeared to him there says he was greatly troubled and you would just be fearing for your life if you're confronted by an angel who stands in the presence of God it says Mary was greatly troubled but Gabriel knew she was afraid because he said don't be afraid Mary for you have found favour with God. There's the repeat. Greetings, O favoured one. God is being gracious to you. Here is, comes the repeat. You have found favour with God. What had she done to earn that favour? Absolutely nothing. You have found favour with God. God's in control of that. He's in control of that with us today as well. God in his grace sets his love from all of eternity on those who are undeserving and we can do nothing to earn it. That's how God works. We then have the responsibility to respond accordingly to God's unfolding grace in this way. He involves insignificant people from places of ill repute or bad reputation. He comes near to bring them into his purposes. This is our God. He's working out his plan from all of eternity. What did uh, Gabriel say to her? You will conceive. <laughs> no maybes. This is, this is it. You will conceive. And you will bear a son. Uh, no, it might be a son, might be a daughter. You will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Just as God had directed Zechariah. You're going to call your son John. God is gracious. Mary, you're going to call this child that you're going to have, Jesus, God saves. What grace. God was providing a saviour. And because in his grace he must do that. So that he could be merciful and gracious to a people who have turned away from him in their sin. And stand guilty before him of infinite crime. He must provide a saviour. So that grace would be known. Notice how Gabriel then mentions that this saviour... Is described. And just to take the time to go through the five of them, just quickly, he will be great. Last week we considered John, and the, the words that Gabriel spoke to Zechariah said of John, he will be great before the Lord. Here it's, he will be great. <laughs> He's different. He will be called the Son of the Most High, Gabriel said six months earlier to Zechariah. Your son John will be a prophet of the Most High. Here's no prophet. Here is the son of the Most High. 
The third thing is that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Here's the one that you're looking for. Here's the one that you're longing for, this great king who's going to sit and rule and reign in all of his justice and the perfection of that on God's behalf over the whole world. He's going to sit on that throne. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever is the fourth description we have there. He's going to do that. It goes back even further to the promises that were made to Israel. Jacob's name was Israel as well. He's going to be over them forever, God's people. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Here is a very clear mention of something that is endless, that is infinite. Imagine Mary trying to take all this in. She's trying to compute what it is that the angel who has said, don't be afraid because God's grace has come to you. You're favoured. You're going to have this happen to you. And this is what your son's going to be like. She's trying to take it all in. An eternal one who will sit on a throne for eternity. Who will be glorious. He will be great in himself because of who he is. Because he is the son of the most high. Mary's trusting reply in verses uh, 34 onwards. Her trusting reply to uh, Gabriel. Brings out then the mechanism by which this is going to come about. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now if you're looking at this uh, response as it contrasts or compares with the response of Zechariah last week. You might be thinking well. Why does Mary seem to get away with it whenever um, Zechariah asks a, a question in similar language and he's struck dumb and possibly deaf at the same time? Zechariah asks out of, this, this just isn't possible, that sort of response. Mary's like, okay, God's going to do this, but how? Difference of attitude there. How will this be since I'm a virgin? That's... It shows you that Mary seems to consider that what Gabriel is saying to her is going to happen immediately. There's urgency about Gabriel's words. Why do I say that? Because if she's in a betrothal period and they're looking forward to a wedding feast that is somewhere on the horizon, maybe she could have thought, well, we'll just wait until sexual relations happen and I'll get pregnant and this son will appear. She doesn't seem to think that way though. She says, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? This expectation of what God has said will come about quickly. So she doesn't come with doubt. She comes with, un, uh, with an acceptance. And God, tell me, or Gabriel, tell me how this is going to happen. And that's a, a little lesson for us as to how we respond sometimes to the things that God would show us in his word. Do we say... It's not possible for that to be the case. Here is Mary saying, okay, this is from God. So show me how this happens. The answer then comes back. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Speaks of the personal presence of God coming and enveloping Mary in her circumstances. What grace of God for him to do that. It takes the Holy Spirit to come because he is the agency, if I can say that, of the Godhead in the work of creation. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. It describes that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters before God begins uh, the latter stages of his creation work. 
hovering there. The Holy Spirit is involved in us for spiritual rebirth. We're dead in our sin. Because God's wrath and judgment has already been pronounced against us as guilty sinners. But the Holy Spirit is the one who quickens us to make us realise that Jesus is the saviour that God has provided. And gives us the life that then embraces Christ for the life. And then we live in him. Here is the Holy Spirit coming. Mary, it's not going to be a man that's going to bring this about. There's going to be a break in the natural system. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to come and bring this about. And this is the reason. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Holy here has the sense of the purity. Holiness means, uh, very often in God's word, um, a description of God as being so other to everything else that he has made, including us as humans. There's always that sense in the word holy, but in the, in the context of where it is here, holy is speaking of that which sometimes we often just default to anyway, which is thought of purity, sinlessness. That is the sense here that we're to see it. The child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. There's going to be a break in the natural system of things. Because the natural system of things, through the uh, procreation of humanity and so on, it's a broken system. Where sin is, if I can use the word transmitted, uh, inherited. We get in, in Romans chapter 5, uh, I don't have time to go into this. Um, you, you have Paul trying to describe why all human beings are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin, though that is right. But originally we are sinners. We're born in sin. Uh, Adam is viewed as the representative head of, of all of humanity. And for that reason then we are counted guilty along with him. But also, in a sense, because all of humanity was in Adam... Because we have all come from Adam. Then you can see the sense as well in which the sin nature has been passed on to all of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This one, Jesus, will be the son of God. It will be a break. The usual process where that sin nature would be transmitted, is not going to occur. You go back to the Garden of Eden and God makes a promise. He makes a promise and he addresses it to the one who has deceived Eve, the serpent, Satan, has come in there. The seed of the woman will bruise your head. The language is precise, it's not the seed of the man. It's the seed of the woman shall bruise your head. God steps in to bring about a miracle in the womb of Mary where the natural process is broken so this one can be called the son of God, yes, he will be called holy. He is sinless. And that's important because all of us as sinners are guilty before God and none of us is good enough to stand on behalf of any others. But God in his grace is unfolding his wonderful purpose and plan of salvation that requires somebody 
to stand on our behalf as a sinless one. And in fact, that sinless one, Jesus, would be the one to fulfill all sacrifices for sin because he would stand for us before God when he offered himself to die for us and for our sin. He would bear it as if he had done it when in fact he hadn't. And the scriptures in the New Testament repeatedly tell us that Jesus was sinless. He was without sin. He must be that so that God's grace and salvation would come to us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says there that God was sending his own, sin, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He was in the likeness of our humanity. He was truly human, truly God, but he was without sin. Mary is then given a sign to further confirm this, that this miracle is going to happen. It says your, your relative Elizabeth uh, is already pregnant. She who was called barren. That's, we missed that one last week. But we talked about the stigma of barrenness in that society. Here the angel says, she who is called barren. That's what people referred to her as. And God has done something for Elizabeth that is amazing too. Praise God for that. Now, nothing will be impossible for God. Can't miss that statement, can you? Verse 37. That's how Gabriel concludes his interaction with Mary. For nothing will be impossible for God. Now Mary, you're going to have two signs that this is going to happen. One, God is going to work a miracle in your womb and bring about a son who is distinctive and unique. And secondly, he's achieved something with Elizabeth that was humanly impossible as well. Two signs to give confidence of what God was up to. Nothing will be impossible. It has echoes back to Genesis 18 when Abraham and Sarah, God had made promises to Abraham that he was going to have descendants through whom God would bless the earth and would be the beginning of a great nation and they just couldn't have kids. And Sarah, his wife, was old. And the Lord came and interacted with them and Sarah was in the tent and she heard the Lord saying, Next, this time next year you're going to bear a son. She laughed because <laughs> that's not possible. The Lord says, why, why did she laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's echoes there, isn't there? Nothing is impossible for God. When God intervenes in his grace actively in a way that is unmistakable, there is nothing that is too hard for him. Mary's response, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Why was she prepared to accept this? Because she recognised that here was a messenger of God who was bringing the word of God. Let it be according to what God has said and your servant. There's a willingness. In the reality that God has said, there is nothing that is impossible for him. Okay. In a sense, bring it on. That's her response. So Mary goes in haste, picking up from verse 39 onwards. Mary goes in haste in those days, it says, uh, to see Elizabeth. And there's this wonderful encounter. We'll just touch on it quickly. It's probably about a 50 to 70 mile journey, depending on where um, 
Elizabeth lived. We're not too sure. It was the hill country of, of Judea, but we're not that precise about where it is. But that's quite a journey for a young woman to have made. Did she have a conversation with Joseph before she went to say that the, uh, she'd had this encounter with Gabriel? We don't know. It's speculation. Uh, it might not have been until she came back after having been there three months that maybe then she has this conversation and Joseph needs the encounter himself with Gabriel to be convinced to keep Mary as his betrothed intended wife and to continue on with things because he was going to deal with it differently. But she goes and uh, she comes to the house and you'll notice she wouldn't have texted or sent a message in advance to say she's coming, I expect. I think she would have made the journey and come into the town and come into the house, it seems, and made a greeting to Elizabeth as a relative. I'm here. So Elizabeth had no prior warning, it would seem, that, uh, that Mary was coming. And you get this immediate reaction from Elizabeth. The baby, John, unborn, who's six months old in the womb, leaps at the voice of Mary. Leaps for joy, she says. And then the text says, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. She just couldn't contain this. And she is helped by God through the Holy Spirit in that moment to know why it is that Mary is there and what it is that Mary has heard and what it is that is happening. This is amazing. We're so used to quite often knowing things are going to happen in advance in our modern society that things of surprise really do catch us by surprise. But this, I take it to be a surprising situation. But Elizabeth is brought into the knowledge of God in this. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, depending on how long it would take you to travel 50 to 70 miles and how quickly Mary got up, there wouldn't have been anything of any sign in her that she was pregnant. In fact, I I tried to get into the the technicalities of pregnancy this week uh, through research, and I'm bamboozled by it. Uh, Apparently, you don't get to embryonic stage until you're five to seven to nine weeks in. So this could even be before you could say that there was an embryo there. It's amazing. So I actually think the focus here is not on what was happening in the womb of Mary, but it's in the reality that Mary has come and she has been willing. As Elizabeth says, you're blessed because you have believed. What was spoken of you will be fulfilled by the Lord. So Elizabeth is delighting that here is one who has come and has believed what God has told her. And she's been brought into that knowledge by the working of the Holy Spirit. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She recognised in Mary her privileged position to be the one in God's purposes. Here she is carrying the one who has been promised to prepare the way of the Lord. And here walks in as she's helped by the Holy Spirit to understand that the one who's going to carry God himself in human flesh. The Lord who is going to be the one who will rule and reign. And her son unborn is going to prepare the way. No wonder she exclaims with a loud cry. I mean the language there just... Uh, repeats of just this exuberance 
of joy. She says, the baby has leaped within me for joy. There you have John, the unborn, reacting to the arrival of Mary, a recognition, as we'll see later with John, that there was something greater going on. And he knows that, even when he's a six-month-old, unborn, in the womb. I just think that's astounding. Just this unfolding of God's grace leads to deepest joy which can't be contained. And Elizabeth just exclaims it. And then what does that cause? It seems as though Mary is then caused to sing a song. And for someone who in their mid to late teens, she has a knowledge of the Old Testament. She has been one who has heard the things of the Old Testament taught. The structure of the poem is just delightful. The song that comes out. She, she just exclaims for the first little section about what God has done for her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's caught up with what God has done for her. Everything about her is just excited about who God is for her. But do you notice that Mary also recognises that she needs a Saviour? There are many millions in our world who are adherents to a faith who will say that Mary herself was without sin. And it's contrary to scripture because out of the very words of Mary come the recognition before God that she needs a saviour too, just like all of us. She is a sinner. But God is doing a work in her which is miraculous to bring about one who would be the sinless one. This is the Immaculate Conception. It doesn't go back a generation to Mary. And her whole soul, spirit, rejoices. Because he is mighty and has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Notice that the shift in the song then goes from her own thoughts about what God has done for her. About what God is doing. Particularly for the nation of Israel. He then speaks about his mercy being on those who fear him from generation to generation. Here is Mary looking back and seeing that God has been working something down the generations. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. She realises that people who submit to what it is that God reveals enjoy the things that God wants them to enjoy. We submit as sinners to what it is that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We step into the deepest of joy as we experience his grace of forgiveness for our sin through the Saviour, Jesus Christ, he has provided. He has filled the hungry with good things, the rich he has sent away. He has helped, verse 54, his servant Israel. She sees that the whole nation has been a vehicle in a sense for God to bring about this blessing. And it's in remembrance of his mercy. And she says it goes all the way back to Abraham. 2,000 years before this time. I've heard about these promises that God made to Abraham. And now it's coming about. And I'm, I'm in it. An amazing song. Where she recognises God's grace. Salvation for herself. And the joy that comes from that. But also to see God's working in history. Up to that point, And the blessing extending to all peoples. Is there. And she remains with Elizabeth for three months. You get the impression, because the next verse says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. You get the impression that Mary left before John was born. She goes away 
after having three months of a joyful experience as these two women uh, at either ends of the age spectrum, if you can call it that, just delight in God's unfolding plan of grace and salvation. Where there's one who is going to prepare the way and developing within the other is one who will be great. He is the son of the Most High. He is the one who will sit on the throne of David over his people and that will be forever. Can you imagine the three months of them two sitting, talking with expectant joy and all of that? God is unfolding his plan still. This one, this saviour, is the fulfilment of God's plan and purpose. And we look back and see him on the cross, dying because we are sinners. And he, the sinless one, is there for us and for God. So that God could deal with our sin and his wrath could be borne by the infinite son of God. Who had identified so much with humanity that he was right here. To bring God's grace to us, it's through faith in believing what God has done in Christ Jesus at the cross that we step in and say, let it be to me. I'm your servant. Nothing is impossible with you, God. Bring it on. Let's pray.